0: It's my party, and I'll cry if I want to, cry if I want to, cry if I want to. But you would cry too if it happened to. Do 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 do, do. Ba, 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 ba. Nobody knows where my Johnny has Johnny has gone. Away. Um, for a while, why was he holding her hand when she's supposed to be wrong? Line, I forgot it. Uh, What's the name of this one? Oh, yeah. It's my party, and I'll cry if I want to. Cry if I want to, cry if I want to. We would cry too if it happened to you. She wore blue velvet. Bone, bone, bluer than velvet were her eyes. And I still can see blue velvet in her eyes. Hey folks. Who the fuck is this asshole? Very good question. I'm sorry, was there a uh, was there a game ball happening that I interrupted? I'm sorry. I'm sorry I interrupted your nerd festival. So, yeah, the only gaming we're going to be doing today is gaming the human brain. We're going to be hacking its neurons and unleashing and dumping into the ether its secret treasures and candies. We're, Montreal is not sold out. We just said that because the stupid tech ticket master wasn't working for a while and people assume that. It's not. Buy the stupid tickets, you frickin' Canucks. You fucking poutine-eating motherfuckers. I don't know. We might not sell any tickets in Canada. I don't know. I, I never understand why anybody outside of America listens to this show, honestly. I mean, it's just sick. So, whatever. I don't care. I'll just eat poutine on the stage alone. Sacré bleu, indeed. I do love that about uh, French Canadians, that because they're kind of uh, stuck in the cultural model that prevailed in the 1700s, when they got uh, taken away from France and became uh, British subjects, that all of their swear words are directly related to the Catholic Church. Like if people were still getting scandalized uh, in English by saying consarnet or zounds. Tabarnak! And I guess that's what happens when you get uh, when you get You go from being a dominant culture to a subservient one is uh, that the uh, organic sort of development gets arrested because you're no longer have access to the uh, the proteins, the 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 resources, the cultural material resources that uh, develop a a culture, which is why uh, they had to have that quiet revolution. And then also I had to have the uh, emergency where French Canadians are running around fucking murking uh, state premieres. Am I a Quebecois separatist? Oh, my God. Get over it. I did not understand at this late date what the hell people are trying to get a national sovereignty for. What what national sovereignty exists at this point? For for I mean, among the countries, when you when you look at like the Western separatist movements, Quebecois, Scots, Catalans, what you're just signing, you're already subservient. You're already uh, part of a supernatural supernatural thing. It's just resentment at this point. It's just you're not getting over the past. That's essentially what it is. It's it's just bad sportsmanship. Like, move on. We're all subject to the dollar for now. And that is the fucking uh, national imperial structure that we're within. You want, like, different colored passports? I mean, you get this. It, they, they make you speak French in Quebec for the most part, right? Like, they don't. They take that shit seriously. So they get to speak their precious language. I mean, honestly, uh, Canadians, tell me the truth here. If Quebec did separate from Canada and became an independent country, would not the biggest uh, policy change brought by that simply be that they would have a much, much stricter immigration standards than current Canada? Wouldn't that just be it?
1: Realistically. What else different would they do? But I guess you can
0: say that's the point. Like if you're going to have a nation, that means preserving a certain national character. And it's like, yeah, it does. So what do we mean when we talk nation? That's what we have no uh, agreement upon even though we're subject to these institutions and then we uh we have a big old uh culture war over it to elide our fundamental disconje- de conjecture about like what we're trying to preserve by preserving a uh polity Better Call Saul is good. You know what? I'm finally watching the sixth season, and I am sorry. There is good stuff throughout the show, but the way that the fucking Gus Fring, hey, remember Breaking Bad shit eats the rest of the show as it goes along is just a missed opportunity is what it is. To me, the the, the promise of a Better Call Saul Better Call Saul show was a show with a different tone and a different theme than Breaking Bad. Not just the same thing over again from a different perspective. That to me was like why do it why do a spin-off of a show that's completed to do a different not just narrative angle but thematic tone aesthetic angle but aesthetics nobody gives a shit about that anymore. It's like no. This is what a, a hour long show that I'm supposed to think is good looks like. It, these are the themes of a show like that. This is the visual palette of a show like that. Like to me, the ideal Better Call Saul is like a '70s Rockford style case a week show about uh, Saul getting into uh, schemes and shapes in the in the legal community in Albuquerque. And you can say, oh yes, but the show we got instead is so good. of the show is about finding out how the meth lab that uh, Gus Fring builds and and reveals in, what, season four of Breaking Bad got made. Holy shit. Wow. So I'm just saying, yeah, there's good stuff throughout, but... Especially as the Lalo shit just ate the rest of the show in the last season so that you don't see Saul become Saul Goodman until the very end of the, of the fucking last uh, uh, color episode. That's like, I'm sorry. The thing cool about him was that he was the character he was. How does he become him? That's the Breaking Bad arc. And also, it doesn't make sense for a guy who was a crook from day one. Now, Righteous gemstones. somebody says, watching Righteous Gemstones, of course. Now, there's a program. I just feel like people made, uh, at every step since, like, Sopranos defined what a uh, good show was. Meaning a show, this is what I mean by good show. I'm not talking about anything to do with quality. I'm talking about a film that can, a show that can fill a cultural space. And that is this show that, Self-conceived, self-perceived smart people feel comfortable debating and describing the aesthetic merits of uh, in public, specifically on social media. That is a good show. That's for my purpose. This is a show. This is the show that this is the model of thing that the Sopranos gifted to us at the dawn of the uh, 21st century. And that was a blessing because we were going to need it because the internet was going to destroy our literacy. It was going to destroy our attention span. It was going to destroy our uh, interest in leaving our homes. And what that meant is that the broad middle brow of, uh, of narrative art was going to collapse around stuff that you watch at home. And then we were going to have our engagement with it happen in public in our social media, which is filling the role of actually being and interacting with other human beings. No, The Sopranos was not that... Do- I mean, it was incredibly well-reviewed. There was an SNL sketch at the time that made fun of the reviews of The Sopranos in the first season. It just hyperventilating, like the Messiah had arrived. But like, it did not become a phenomenon for a little bit, and that's because people came to the lifestyle of, at that time, reading... Um, at work, at their shitty, boring jobs, sitting down and reading uh, online recaps. That's where this whole thing starts. And then going in the comments about them. And of course, not everyone was doing that. Very few people were literally writing the comments, but lots of people were engaged peripherally in the in the discussion. And that replaced uh, uh, difficult films uh, or honestly anything outside of blockbuster films. It replaced novels completely. It took away both of those things from, like, the cultural conversation and gave us a new thing, easier to consume than those other things, like literally easier to consume, in that easier than a book in that you don't have to read, you can just stare at the screen, easier than a movie in that you don't have to leave your house to see it. Easier. And that slot got filled by a show, and that show changed over time. And the thing is, the show got worse over time. Now, I would argue that there's, like, a moment after The Sopranos when the form kind of bursts up a little bit. Because, like, oh, there's this new form. Everybody, like, rises to the challenge of it. And you have this crop of shows that are at least as good as The Sopranos. And some could argue better, like Mad Men, like Deadwood. You can argue about The Wire all you want. But it's, uh, its role, its ability to fill the role of the show smart people talk about was impressive. But then it starts to fucking fall. It starts to get less rigorous as time goes on, as the format itself, which is uh, a mass extended viewership over years, dominates over everything else. Because I would argue that element of television makes it a lesser artistic medium than either film or uh, novels. easier, lesser. And keeping people watching makes the genre stuff that's like supposed to be the sweet to the salty of the, uh, you know, more uh, like modernist character-based stuff overwhelms the palate. And Breaking Bad is really where that kicks in. But Breaking Bad is much more uh, genre-y than any of the previous good shows. And as a result, people had to work harder to make it mean something. And after that fell off, like, the the economy of, of, of uh, television changed, all in ways to make shows worse in general, to make it so that the show that, like, rises up is going to be worse. Then we had Game of Thrones fill that spot, which is, of course, like, even more, I mean, traditionally genre-based than Breaking Bad is. More of a fantasy thing than Breaking Bad even is a, a crime show. And, like, you can argue, well, these are all good shows. I like them. I love them. In fact, at times, uh, Gambo got me to read those stupid books, which I never had before watching Gambo, and I was at the edge of my seat as I watched fucking Breaking Bad. I mean, they were effective, but as a thing that everybody should sit around and talk about, discuss from a, a uh, uh, like a critical literary perspective, absolutely not. Move on. But there was nothing to move on to. There is nothing else that everybody had uh, experienced to talk about, and so that's what they talked about. By the time Break, Better Call Saul shows up, it's the only thing with any connection to that uh, era still around. And over time, it's need to remind us of that connection to a, a previous Bella Epoque of prestige television overwhelmed uh, everything else. And by the end of the show, it's a third, uh, the Salamancas versus Gus Fring. Like, just to remind you, hey, this is the show that you really like. And then just watching everyone try so hard to wring something out of the show, it was annoying, honestly. But I understand because what else is there to talk about? And that's all we really want to do with this stuff is talk about it. We're just letting it wash over us. The real work is afterwards. Hell, half the time we aren't even really watching it, we got our phones in our hands. So there's plenty of good stuff in, in Better Call Saul, especially before it uh, took the turn towards being about Breaking Bad again and being like Breaking Bad again in the earlier seasons. Uh, even though tonally it's not enough of a distinct thing from Breaking Bad to justify itself, which is really the question, why are we making this? If it's just another Breaking Bad season, then we're just doing a reboot. Who cares? The answer needs to be, like, there's another thing we're exploring here, another aesthetic element of the setting we're exploring. But that would mean making it no longer a show that reads as good. If it's a -a case-a-week comedy, then it is no longer a show that we can all care about together publicly and talk about and think about publicly. So anyway, that is my case against the show. And that's why it's so frustrating to talk about any of this stuff, because you can defend the show on its own merits all day and say, look at this and this, this is so good. And like, yeah, there's stuff in there that is enjoyable to watch, but what it is expected to hold up to, the scrutiny is expected to hold up to is uh, unreasonable and only motivated by a desire for it to fulfill this role for people who desperately want to be seen as publicly smart, because it's not about smart, smartness. It is about a specific neurotic need to be publicly perceived as intelligent that motivates people to have these kind of relationships with these TV shows, which is what tells us how good or bad it is. That urge, not anything related to the text itself. Yeah, the relationship between Chuck and uh, uh, Jimmy is very good and could have been the engine, honestly, for a, a show to, like, even if you don't want to do wackier and you want to have more of a tragic edge to it, but you you could have based it around a, a, less, const- uh, a less intensified but sort of more long-running version of the Chuck-Jimmy uh, dynamic. That could be, like, the drive of the show. But, like, they had to kill him off. Because they had to make way for all of this Breaking Bad bullshit. See, somebody says I hated the Chuck stuff. It doesn't make doesn't make me dumb. No, it's all about as smart as the rest of it. None of it is smarter than any other parts of it. Some parts are just funner, more fun, and that's the part about these shows that gets totally uh, uh, annihilated the aesthetic element uh, in their uh, evaluation because this is all a a Calvinist uh, fun-denying exercise in the first place. Wanting other people to see you're smart, doing homework for free? That's not somebody who wants to have fun. That's somebody who has created a twisted, perverse, repressed inversion of fun. A Calvinist, in other words. So they can't recognize... They cannot, they can recognize it maybe by perceiving it, but they cannot recognize by positively re-describing and affirming it when they see it. And man, just as the last thing, people who thought Lalo Salamanca is some epically cool villain, I do not understand. Like, what was it? Was it the mustache? Like, oh, he's jolly, but also evil. He smiles, but then he kills people. That's so twisted like are you, this has been done a zillion times, and more importantly, it's not done with any distinction. It literally just is he chuckles and then kills people. That's it. He's fun in a show that is otherwise drained of fun for no good reason. like one of the reasons people like Lalo is because he's he introduces like this wacky element that should already be there in a show about Saul Goodman, but is instead completely absent because of the serious stakes of all this shit. I'm saying if Lalo is the fun part of your show, you fucked up. It should be funner than that. It should be more fun than this. This is a minimal amount of fun. See, I want to have like a, a review call about television where I just review the meta context of reviewing television shows because I do have a lot of takes around TV because I'm as much of a fucking neutered dork as the rest of you. I got to watch television more than I absolutely should because I'm like, what do I do with myself? So I'm watching this slop and I of course want myself to be, appear to be intelligent. I'm talking about myself here, but I would like to just give some ability to deceive myself if no one else, that I'm doing something other than that by not having to, like, uh, talk about these shows as if they're good or not. Like, this is slop. Like, uh, for example, Andor. I've watched two episodes of Andor. I-, I could see why people like it. I will probably maybe watch it at some point in the future, but I don't know. I don't have Disney+, Plus and I don't really want to... Uh, I don't know how to torrent things, so maybe maybe not. We'll see what happens, but even if it's as good as people say it is, I think it is morally respons- it is the moral responsibility of anyone who watches Andor to shut the fuck up about it and not ever say it's good, not ever say a word about it, even if it means it gets canceled. Because it is criminal that, to- that Tony motherfucking Gilroy, who made Michael, Ca- Michael Clayton, which is one of the best films in the best film decade of like the past 30 years, 2007, uh, and is like a proven uh, a film, filmic pimp uh, and ha- obviously had plenty of ideas for his own work that he couldn't make because they would only let him do something if it had bleep bloops in it, is now being forced to make a bleep bloop show. And the fact that it's the best bleep bloop show is totally immaterial to the fact... That it uh, is a crime that this should be where we're given uh, what we're giving Tony Gilroy money for, and now we're going to cheer this law, lack of standards. We're going to hoot and holler and slap our fins together. That is criminal. Watch it and enjoy it if you think it's good. For the love of God, but keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut, eh? And like the number of people, this someone points this out. Say, oh, the politics are good. So what? That's homework. Okay, kids, uh, so tomorrow you got to watch and or and then have a book report ready for a class about uh, why it's epically communist. Did I say something with a Wisconsin accent? It does come out sometimes. It does come out on the vowels. Oh, my God. (laughs) You want some toast? That's my favorite part of the Wisconsin accent is the way they do O-A. Toast? Boat? We're going on the boat. Also the A in, in uh, or the O in words like God. Oh my God. I saw the Dune trailer. I'm on record saying the first Dune is bad and it's basically a Marvel movie. And if you don't recognize that, it's because your taste buds have been melted by comic book crap. It's a, it's a not a movie. It's an advertisement for another movie. It's It cuts the first act out of a three-act structure and tries to trick you into thinking it's a movie. And the most egregious part of that, egregious moment of that is at the end of the movie when they're just walking up the dune and all of a sudden the Hans Zimmer score just gets really loud right before they cut, cut to black. That's just trying to trick you into thinking that you, you just saw a whole movie. And look again, why is it good though? Even though it has the same dull uh muted refinement culture, uh shout out Lindy Man aesthetic as a fucking Taco Bell. It's got the same uh uh it's like, oh, Hans Zimmer, uh Desert Planet movie. What are you going with? Uh how about this? Tribal uh tribal instruments. Holy shit, you're a genius. Like, the Muzin sound. Wow. Unbelievable. Oh, Boomer Energy. You people... Yeah, because you children have given up the idea that a movie should be a story. Apparently, that uh, that uh, Above the Spider-Verse movie that everyone's creaming themselves about and that I'm probably not going to see, it ends with just a little of the middle of a scene cliffhanger. Is that correct? Okay, that's not how you do that. That's not how you do the middle part of a trilogy. Has anyone seen uh, Back to the Future 2? You fucking children. Have any of you guys... I love how I'm like, arguing in favor of stuff that was considered slop in 1980s. It's like, yes, it was considered slop in 1980s. Now it's good compared to the slop we have now. That's just how it works. Take it up with the second law of thermodynamics. But that movie tells the whole story about uh, Marty having to go back and... Uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Back to the Future 1 uh, and Back to the Future 2 both end with Cliff, with uh, invitations to watch the next movie. Uh, at the end of Back to the Future 1, they go, your kids, something's wrong with your kids, and then they go away. And then at the end of uh, the third one, you find out that Doc is in the Old West and, and Marty's got to go back for him. But in both of those... They tell the whole story, and then they introduce this next link in the chain to a new story. They do not just stop the movie and then say, come back for it again. That's not, that's not a movie. That's not a film. That is an episode. What? Of television. And clapping like a seal for it is clapping for the fucking Klein. I'm sorry. And again, watch it and enjoy it. It's all we have. Who am I to blame you? but then keep it to your fucking self, for God's sake. So yes, I'm an old man complaining about the kids today on their dumb phones, but who, that's what I am. That's what we all are. We're we going to try to frantically dress it up uh, in, in like some sort of transcendent garb of, of eternal insight, but the fact is we're all some degree or another, just reacting to the change in how we remember things at one point to how they are now. And a lot of that just boils down to aging, getting turned into uh, uh, value. But some of it is a real lived experience of the decline of institutions of all types, including cultural production, under this accelerated terminal end-stage capitalism. And I I I gotta say, the reason they call this late capitalism or, or late-stage capitalism, the reason I think that that is a useful term and it, that it actually does describe something is because it is totalized capitalism, which is what we have. And that is why we are in a decline phase, because once capitalism is totalized, it can only decline from there. As all systems, all systems reach a totalization and then their internal contradictions bring them... To destruction. This is just the first one that is literally uh, global. This is the first order class society that is literally global as opposed to just global within uh, its like, uh, thermo- thermodynamic limit of expansion. Yeah, it's all downhill. hell. So that is the late stage. But that stage could exist for maybe ever. Maybe if they actually do figure out how to make the computers turn you into a robot. It'll be a post-scarcity utopian singularity robot colony of like 10 assholes. And the rest of the world is a parched desert. Uh, I've talked about um, before on this pod, the stream, what have you, a while ago now, uh, I talked about a short story called uh, The People of... uh, What the fuck's it called? The People of Sand and that that short story the people of sand and slag by paolo Bapaguapoli. he's some sort of dago um, and it's about a, a, it's about late stage capitalism it's about uh uh, uh, ter- uh it's about capitalism at its final development and that's just what we have now at a, at a ends at a further stage of technological development but the, the dynamic of the relation, the internal uh, cultural dynamics, the dynamics between hum, individual humans and the d- dynamics between people and the environment and other living things is the same as it is now. So that's why you can have a late stage that could extend into the far future because of the, the X factor of technological development, which has always interrupted otherwise natural cultural flows. Like, there are plenty of points where our existing class structure should have collapsed a long time ago. What saved it at every point was a technological breakthrough. Pressure applied to a point of uh, mental pressure, collective, like, uh, uh, creative, intellectual pressure applied to uh, cracks in an edifice. You know, technology is like the finger in the dike that then, over time, because of the breakthroughs involved in technological innovation and development, create a whole new uh, terrain that extends the horizon out even farther. Uh, but we're, and, and, if, and now, though, we it could continue indefinitely, but not without the mass majority of humanity being extinguished. And really, uh, the political question of, of for uh, first worlders is, how do you imagine integrating yourself into that process? Where are you going to be as that is occurring? And, of course, for everybody hearing this and myself, I'm inside this machine. But, you know, it's going to break down, not according to, like, a static border, but uh, it's going to happen within polities, between polities. It's going to be a hollowing out and a collapse around Protected Geographical Atolls, an archipelago of the capital. Uh, The the air in California is incredibly clean, actually, because there haven't really been any wildfires yet. And a lot of that is attributed to the fact that it rained like crazy uh, for early this year. It rained almost the entire month of January. So stuff's a lot uh, wetter there's there's less uh, less tinder. There probably will be fires, but right now there really aren't any. And that's the fun thing about like this climate uh, disruption is that it is uncombined and uneven results and, and moving and shifting responses, which means like the worst of it is never felt anywhere permanently. You just have these uh, emergencies and that's why it will be managed indefinitely. And I think technology will allow it to be managed indefinitely as opposed to the the full uh, apocalyptic reckoning that a lot of people, I think, are afraid of but secretly yearn for. Because if that happens, it, it cleaves them of their responsibility, their moral responsibility, to assess their relationship to the process. Somebody says, polar sucks. Polar's pretty good, man. I think Polar is good. You're tripping if you don't like Polar. Oh, so we recorded our show earlier. Um, so we're not going to have anything about the affirmative action uh, ruling on it. I don't know how much there is to say, though. Like, everyone, I think, knew this one was coming. Uh, and also, at this point, you've got to really wonder, like, how... How crucial is this in like, the broader sense when you consider how, how few people uh, like, admission standards to selective universities refers to? And also the fact that Roberts left universities the leeway to consider race, but on an individual pers- standard, which since they already have a black box admissions standard, uh, they can just claim that they do every time. There's no enforcement mechanism. So if they want to keep doing it, they'll keep doing it. I don't think they're going to. I think that their their ideology there is protected and cocooned enough uh, that they will keep doing what they were doing anyway. Uh, it's very funny, though, because, like, if, Like, a lot of white people are very happy right now, but, like, if they really, if they took this seriously, which they won't, if they took this all the way seriously, all right, right, we're getting rid of race completely. Well, then, guess what? Uh, You're still not getting into a university, but it's because an Asian person took your spot, not a black person. Congratulations. I mean, and that right there is just good uh, old-fashioned supply and demand uh, and populations. Like, there's a lot more. Uh, Asians with uh the resources and desire to have their kids attain a exclusive university degree uh than there are white ones and yeah like uh, exclusive universities should be bulldozed. I've, I've discussed what I think there should be instead of universities. I think there should be managed. I mean, and this is of course not like have them pass this now, have Brandon pass this now. Like, no, an entirely different government operating under different uh, uh, organs of deliberation would have to carry this policy out, but it would be national service for all kids for a couple of years where you go somewhere in the country that you aren't from meet other kids who aren't from there and work together on some sort of goal. And then while you're there, and then also when you come home, you will have access to locally available education in any subject you choose for free. And for stuff that is more intensive and requires like intensive educational infrastructure, you'd have centers for that where people who wanted to do that work could go. But the idea of college, let's get all these overproduced suburban little barons together and let them just chill when their hormones are at their ripest. And all of them can develop psychological, uh, uh, political psychological uh, neuroses because of the trauma of colliding with the rest of the world. In, where uh, where they're learning that there can be nothing to do about alienation, that we are all in eternal warfare with one another, but also uh, we should be making uh, heaven on earth and we should get rid of all the bad things. And the way to do that is to feel bad about them because there's no other, there's no actual thing we can do about any of them. Good Lord. Anyone who defends this prop thing because like it creates liberals or something is completely deluded. It creates cultural schizophrenia and eventual civil war like how about you come into adulthood hormones and all this going with a bunch of other people who are all uh, working together on a common project holy shit maybe these aren't maybe our uh cultural racial uh uh gender conflicts are not eternal and un and un uh uh resolvable maybe it isn't a zero sum game but that's what they're learning and it's very funny to me the number of conservatives who think that they're going to destroy this uh thing that even though they are a product of it and their mindset is merely a Refraction, a reversal of the mindset that it's imprinting onto all those horrible libs. Like, you are hostage to the same ideological fantasy and uh, neurotic uh, um, torture chamber as the libs are. Like, oh, we got to replace the curriculum at uh at harvard with uh with cicero and shit it's like that's what it was for a long time and it still produced eventually a culture of liberal neuroses because that's what academics are going to generate for a very long time conservatives would complain about how all the universities are staffed with liberals or communists and for one thing, that wasn't true in many of the disciplines like business and stuff. But more importantly, conservatives uh, wanted to make money. A conservative would come. In, a conservative of like intelligence and drive, the person who could complete like a multi-year, uh, adv- uh, ant- a postgraduate course in any subject, would rather make money than dick around at, at the fucking quad. What, is to be, what, is, what a value is to be found here? Value is to be found in the market. I'm going to go and fight in the marketplace. The entire idea of like, we need more uh, conservatives in universities, it totally missed the sorting mechanism that puts people into jobs. And the people who want to hang around college are the people who don't want to go out into the market for one reason or another. Either they don't think they can hack it or they think it's wrong to do so. And usually a combination of both. Like the decision that, oh, it's immoral to engage in the market is often paired to, I would be bad at it. I certainly know it's true in my case. So you're going to create a cast of nervous, anxious, uh, guilt-riddled nerds who just sit around and... uh, try to ritually uh, discharge their accumulated sense of guilt to be in a system that they know is bad. Now, things are decayed so much that I think that there is something to the conservative demand for like, uh, conservative, uh, conserva- conservative affirmative action in universities uh, just in the sense that there's nowhere to make money people are like, even people who would rather make money are finding like, Oh no, maybe the Academy is a better option. It's a more stable job environment. But of course, at this point it isn't the profession has been destroyed. So there's nothing like, uh, the conservatives and the libs are fighting over, uh, like the future of, uh, academia exactly as it's collapsing. So all these questions about welfare, about affirmative action, uh, and, uh, Uh, and tenure it's like and who's going to be teaching our kids it's like the whole model is collapsing it's all falling down right now that's the only reason that it's up for grabs is because it's no longer valuable when it was valuable there was a uh, structure to keep reproducing it and now it's gone And they had to dismantle it. And how did they dismantle it? Well, they dismantled the new left, which is mostly students, partially by giving a bunch of them jobs in the academy. You can't bring down the system, but you can critique it. And maybe the kids that you uh, teach it, teach their critique to will one day undo it. Of course, that's self-serving, but it's no one's fault because there was no alternative at that point. Like the historical energies that it, uh Guided the left through its institutional's its its institutional power, had evacuated, and you have to still live. Are you going to destroy yourself like a bug bug zapper, running against the machine, or are you going to live? And that's a question we all have to ask. And I honestly don't think that you can judge anybody who makes either choice because they're making them individually. A lot of people are going to make the choice to go along, and the the best compromise they can imagine is I'll 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 get the same. Uh, same quarter lot that my parents did that I thought was bourgeois sellout uh, uh, murder, uh, but because instead of you know, working at a factory or working on Madison Avenue and contributing to the war machine, I am uh, on the campuses deconstructing all of the propaganda and, and, and the systems of power, and I'm teaching the kids how it works and all this stuff. And so that's worthwhile work that needs to be done uh, to oppose this thing without opposing it. And that went for a while, you know, the, the financialized uh, boom, the, the illusory boom that, that went from like the mid-80s until 2008. Uh, the the home-based speculative boom that, that was filled in for like a productive economy as we were dismantling ours. But at the end of the century, that the bill comes in and this this system has to be destroyed. Like the idea of a bunch, a big pool of academics sitting around and talking to kids—that's going away. And then you're going to be replaced by, uh, by proletarianized uh, thought leaders, thought thought workers, intellectuals who are essentially Uber drivers because they're taking, they're getting paid per class with no benefits or guaranteed of employment. So who's going to do that? Who's going to d- d- allow this institution to be destroyed when these people care about it so much? Administrators, which is that strata of people within this you know uh, overproduced elite who can be bought off and can convince themselves that the work they do is meaningful. And what you have to do to convince them is you need to give them way more money. And lo and behold, The more money you give people, the easier it is for them to pull some bullshit reason out of their ass that what they're doing is meaningful. And so the people who have detached, who have destroyed this university system are administrators. Now, some of them are like DEI, uh, 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 you know, inclusivity people. And those people have a ready-made explanation to themselves of why they're doing. But most of them are just, just essentially academic bureaucrats. And if you give them the power to do it, and you give them enough money to motivate them, they'll do it. Just like if you give, if you gave the people the uh, former. Uh, communist officials in Eastern Europe after the fall of the Soviet Union, you give them enough money and they will sell you everything that they used to think mattered in the world. And what's so exciting and terrifying about the moment we live in is that that regulatory element of maintaining capitalist stability in the core, the ability to spy off a group is going away. There is no, like, college itself can no longer be stand as, like, this this ritual that, like, it'll be fun, and it might be annoying, but it'll mostly be enjoyable, and at the end of it, you will be able to be one of us. And it's, that's not a credible claim anymore for, for basically anyone. And that is one of those cracks that's emerging, and what's going to fill it? Some combination of technological advancement, social change, and ferment are going to push us along a path. And we're all alive for it and in it. And uh, it doesn't matter how it ends. Our part in it is part of an eternal process.
1: So, yeah, that's why there can never be a, a black pill. It just doesn't make sense. You're alive.
0: All right. At the end here, I'm going to do a quick, uh, quick set of Gulf War cards. Apologies to anybody who's not a fan of the Gulf War cards. I just find a lot of this very interesting. So the first one we got here is a military asset, the M1, the M1 main battle tank, the good old M1 main battle tank. And I saw this one and I thought, is this a? I think this might be a double. I remember we did a men battle tank that wasn't the Abrams tank. Is that the same one? And then I look back through them and it's like, no, we did this one. We did the M60 main battle tank, which I think is the coolest looking one. Uh, and I was just like, goddamn, that's three main battle tanks. We got three main battle tanks. What does the word main even mean? That's how you know you got a fucking military empire when you got three main battle tanks. Seems like you should have one main battle tank. That's your main battle tank. Do the words have meaning or not? So this, though, is the M1. This is the M1 main battle tank, which looks more like the Abrams to me and therefore less aesthetically pleasing. Uh, Oh, main battle. Like they're, you use them in the main battle as opposed to the outer battle? I don't know. Uh, in 1976, the U.S. Army awarded Chrysler the contract for 11 XM1 vehicles, the forerunners of the M1 and M1A1 Abrams. The first a one M1 had mil- revolutionary gas turbine engines and a 105-millimeter main gun. The fire control system included laser rangefinder, full-solution digital computer, and day-night sight. A later version, the M1A1, included a 120-millimeter main gun and an integrated air conditioning system. Wait a minute, some of these don't have air conditioners? Motherfucker. Uh, manufacturer, General Dynamics. Speed, 41.5 mill- miles per hour. Range, 289 miles. Armaments, 120 millimeter main gun, two, two 7.62 millimeter machine guns, and t- uh, 12.7 millimeter machine gun. So there you go. Eight eight gallons to the mile. What? A mile is eight gallons
1: of gas? Holy fuck.
0: I already said something smart. This is the card time. This is a very funny one to me. Uh, military skills. Fitness. Fitness, fitness, folks! Don't we love it? Fitness of mind, fitness of body is a slogan of the U.S. military uses to encourage health. U.S. Marines, upon graduation from boot camp, set their fitness goals for twenty pull-ups, sixty sit-ups in two minutes, and running three miles. That can't still be the standard, right? They have to have gotten rid of that. There's no way they're still a military if they're asking a bunch of eighteen-year-olds in the t- in twenty twenty-three to do that uh, and running three miles in less than eighteen minutes. No way. Marines train at least three hours a week in aerobic and anaerobic fitness, giving them strength and endurance. Three three hours a week in aerobic and anaerobic fitness, giving them strength and endurance. U.S. Marines and other services have intramural programs for such sports as softball, football, basketball, wrestling, and boxing. Yeah, good luck. Good luck with that. so we've got here, government, Congress, the clown car. Is, is, this, is this Cirque du Soleil? Where is this building? Huh? This is where they keep the clowns. What exactly is anaerobic fitness is a good question. I read that and I didn't really get it. Uh, the Congress of the United States is the legislative branch of government. It is bicameral divided into two somewhat equal parts. Or, yeah, not somewhat equal. The the The... The power of a single senator versus the power of a single congressperson is, is not uh, somewhat equal. Uh, organization, the Senate and the House of Representatives. The Senate has 100 members, two from each state, elected for six-year terms. The members of the House of Representatives are elected for two years. Uh, at present, there are 435 representatives, the number allowed each state being based upon population, with each state having at least one. Only Congress can declare war, and yet didn't. Do you really want to bring that up with your Gulf War trading cards? Oh, I'm sorry. They're Desert Storm trading cards. The word war is not used. Therefore, it was not a war. Don't ask any questions about why we have not declared a war. And yet we still have troops everywhere. Shut up.
1: No, it said aerobic and anaerobic.
0: Oh boy, look check out this dude. Check out the eyebrows on this beast. Admiral Frank R. Kelso the 2nd. This is the 2nd Frank R. Kelso. Look at this guy. He looks like a late Soviet premier. This is the guy who found Brezhnev dead in his borscht. Uh, Following graduation from the Naval Academy in 1956. Oh, yeah. Someone said Michael Aquino eyebrows. Very mm, interesting. Uh, Kelso served in the cargo ship USS Oglethorpe. Wow, cool. Before attending submarine school in 1958 and 1960. The submarine guys are mutants to me. I could not think of a less appealing thing to do than to go into a submarine for an extended period of time. And even like one that you know isn't going to implode. Just... You can't, there's no sunlight. What's wrong with you? You don't have to do it. It's all volunteer. That's the wild thing. Nobody gets assigned to sub duty. These freaks are volunteering. And I'm sure part of that is that you get higher, faster promotion because of that, but perverts. Yeah. And they give you more money, of course, but you'd have to be a sicko. Uh, from January, 1969 to August, 1971, he served as commanding officer of the U S Naval nuclear power school in Bainbridge, uh, Maryland on June 30th, 1986, Kelso was promoted to Admiral and assumed the duties of commander in chief U S Atlantic fleet. He became the U S Navy's 24th chief of Naval operations on June 29th, 1990. So this guy is in charge of sending the, uh, aircraft carriers into the Persian Gulf to just launch those fucking tomahawks. Just press a button. Wow. Incredible. You're fucking Bull Halsey over here. You're Admiral Nelson. Just parking your floating shopping mall off the coast of Kuwait and just having some guys in headphones press buttons. Amazing. Uh, born Fayetteville, Tennessee, USA. Tennessee man. Birth date, July 11, 1933. So he's probably dead, right? Frank Kelso, probably dead. Somebody check on that. Uh, education, university, university of the South. Oh, boy. Suwannee, Tennessee, USA. And the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland in 1956. A fine Southern gentleman with very impressive eyebrows. Dead in, uh, dead in 2013. Well, there we go. So he made it to 80 because he was born in 33. Yeah, he made it to 80. Pretty good. What branch would I go into if I had to? Navy for sure, but not the fucking subs. I'll swab the deck, baby. Air Force is too much math. No, thank you. I would absolutely do do very poorly on anything having to do with the technical elements of uh, anything. Yeah, Coast Guard would be nice. Following a family tradition. I've said this before, but I had a very old dad, second family type situation. So my dad was a World War II veteran, which is wild. And he, uh, he volunteered for the Coast Guard. He was like, I'm not fucking getting my ass shot off. No, thank you. So... Now that's a tradition like none other. All right. Uh, geography. We've got good old Lebanon. Lebanon. Good old Lebanon. The Republic Lebanon has been racked by clan warfare for centuries. You could say that. The action the Factions include Maronite Christians, Sunni Muslims. Interesting. They do the Muslims with the O, old-timey style. Uh, Druze and Shiite Muslims. Civil War broke out in 1958 and 1975. During the last year, Syrian troops intervened and remained in Lebanon. Israel also intervened on two occasions. Three now, last time they got their asses kicked. In 19... Eighty-three, the USA and other Western nations sent troops to Be- Beirut to enforce a ceasefire. An action on military installations resulted in the death of 241 U.S. Marines. An attack on military installations. Rather. And then we fucking just turned tail and ran. Reagan one bombing and we just fucking left. And then we invaded Granada so nobody thought we were pussies. It's very funny. Uh, geographic area. Four 1,015 square miles. Population, 3.3 million. Languages, Arabic, French, English. Predominant religions, Islam and Christianity. Capital, Beirut. Government type, republic. Head of government, President Elias Harani. Yeah. Oh, poor Lebanon. One of those places with a lot of mountains that all of the nonconformists gobbled up. Whenever you got like an imperial religion, a religious imperium, it got it just absolutely dominates in lowland flat areas. They're able to centrally administer the, a, a homogenization of religious practice pretty effectively. But once you get up into the hills, all bets are off. But that means when you try to turn Lebanon into a, a Westphalian state post-colonial era, ooh, not great. That's like one of the very few times uh, that the Irish have been deployed militarily uh, in the world, they were UN—the two big like Irish military uh, adventures uh, outside of you know the domestic ones uh, of the twenty post-war period when they were like no thanks to World War II and then stayed uh, neutral—is they were UN uh, observers or they they were UN peacekeepers in the Congo in the early sixties when there was this uh, attack by like the uh, I think the uh, Katangan rebels uh on their position and they did a work's drift standoff for like a week. They made a Netflix show about it. And then the other was that they were uh, peacekeepers uh occupying the area between the uh the uh the uh not yet Hezbollah at that point uh Sh- southern is uh southern Beirut Shia and the Israeli occupiers. Uh yes the siege of Jadotville. so i'm talking about 1960 and then um yeah they had uh they had peacekeepers in in Beirut which led to a scandal where a christian militia probably killed a uh irish un peacekeeper who went off base uh and then they kind of covered it up and blamed the uh palestinians at one point i think they tried to blame the shia uh, and the Pogues actually wrote a song about it called "Billy's Bones." But other than that, the Irish mostly just like to fight each other, which very fitting. Military asset, oh baby, we all anyone from the '90s knows and loves this baby, the Av, eight B Harrier two. This is a motherfucking jump jet. Anyone see True Lies? You know what these things are capable of it's hilarious because you think about it for five seconds and you're like, that's dumb. We don't need that. But then you see that movie and you're like, you know what? When it uh, like just ripped open that entire uh, story of that Miami high rise, it was pretty tight. A truly versatile aircraft. Yeah. The U S Marine Corps Harrier two is capable of vertical takeoff and landing for either a carrier or a land base designed as a close ground support aircraft. It can hover over the combat area and direct its fire at artillery emplacements or armor. The Harrier can strafe enemy ground troops at high speeds, tiring machine, firing machine guns and missiles, or dropping clusters of firebombs. I can understand the theoretical value to something like that. Like, you need close air support fast. Helicopters are be, uh, aren't going to be as fast as a jet that could get to the site of the close air support and then hover like a helicopter. I get it. But that also feels like Something that you suggest, uh, you know, just like the 15th hour of brainstorming, when you have literally no chance anyone will say no to anything that you suggest. You know those guitars that are like double guitars? It's like, what if there was a plane that could just like go like that? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, I mean, now what we have instead is the Osprey, which is just a way to kill uh, kill na- military pilots and, and uh, passengers. Manufacturer, British Aerona- Aerospace, McDonnell Douglas. Speed, 668 miles per hour. Range, 541 miles per, uh, per hour, miles in combat. Armament, 25-millimeter guns, Sidewinder and Maverick missiles, laser-guided or cluster bombs. A crew of one. Yeah. Honestly, just worth it for the, worth it for true lies. Even if it never did anything else. And I honestly don't know if it ever did. I, has, has a Harrier ever been used in combat? Somebody tell me. Military asset here, a Knox class frigate. We got a frigate guys. We got a motherfucking frigate. Oh, the Falklands. Oh man. The bloody Argies! Oh, There are more than a dozen U.S. Navy frigates operating in waters in and around the Middle East. The Knox-class frigates are armed with medium-range surface-to-surface and surface-to-air missiles. The Vreeland was assigned to the Roosevelt Carrier Group in the Red Sea, and the Montgomery was assigned to the Saratoga Carrier Group. Home port of both ships is Mayport, Florida. Displacement, 4,250 tons, fully loaded. Length, 436 feet. Speed, 27 knots. Ah, knots. Array armament, harpoon and sand sparrow missiles, sea sparrow missiles, one five-inch gun, four fixed torpedo tubes, and one... I got to get bifocals. One phalanx, C-I-W-S. A crew of two eighty eight that seems like a good number to have you got a good group there those us carry those uh aircraft carriers it's like a cruise ship there's thousands of fucking people and then we've got intelligence file oh boy we had Judaism and now Islam oh boy this will be awkward. Islam, Christianity, and Judaism all believe in the same God, whom Muslims call Allah, as well as in the prophet Abraham and Moses. Followers of Islam recognize Jesus as a prophet preceding Muhammad. The five pillars of Islam are the statement, there is no God but God and Muhammad is his prophet, praying five times a day in the direction of Mecca, Saudi Arabia, giving regularly to charity, fasting during the days of Ramadan, and making a pilgrimage to Mecca if possible. That's pretty true. and Nothing there nothing there about it being uh, blood-drinking maniacs or anything. Uh, they, they were pretty children during that first Gulf War because there had been no 9-11 beforehand. Followers, 900 million at the point. Percentage of the world's population, 17. Founder, Muhammad. Founded, 611 6, AD. Sacred Text, the Quran and the Hadiths. And if you are actually a fan of Western monotheism as a concept, if you're down with the one god deal, we all commit to one god, we 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 pick him and we follow him, we ride or die and we like put all of our human traits onto them and and all that stuff. If you're into that, then you got to back Islam. Christianity is cashed. It is fucking washed. Judaism still got some juice, but that's just because of uh you know, the the existence of Israel and and the and the position of uh uh the the uh live the live nature of Judaism among Jewish elites like there's no Christians with money you know what i mean they believe in themselves they've turned jesus into a pagan war god that represents themselves and, and capital is uh, a is satan from that world now the the reigning god overall uh and the only monotheistic alternative to that is uh, is Islam? It's because it's a live religious tradition at all levels of society, or most anyway, most, more much more than Christianity. But I don't know. I, I I don't think it's. I don't think the future is monotheistic. I gotta say, it just seems like a thing that's got a uh, got an expiration date, one way or the other. Ah, Spain, Spain in our hearts. It's been reading a lot about these motherfuckers, uh, thanks to the uh, Spanish Civil War pod I'm preparing. But these are some more guys who just sort of watched and clapped while we did the Gulf War. Located in southwestern Europe, Spain has coastlines on both the Mediterranean Sea and the Atlantic Ocean. Because of its relationship with Germany and Italy during the 30s and 40s, Spain was not granted admission to the United Nations until 1955. That's a way to put it. (laughs) Because they were fellow travelers of the Axis. Because they were like uh, junior varsity Nazis. We were like, no, you don't get to be in the U.N. You sit out. They made him sit out. Man, that must have pissed off a lot of the loyalists. Because there was a feeling among a lot of the exiled Spanish leftists that when the war ended, the project would continue and that they would liberate Spain. No. No, the U.S. had no intention of doing that. Instant alliance with all the former Nazis against the Soviet Union and the continuation of the war. Although, this is a very interesting fact to me, uh, some of the first units into Paris when it was liberated in 1945 were, uh, tank, uh, was a tank column attached to a uh, part of the French military made up almost exclusively of uh, Spanish Civil War veterans, Spanish ones, uh, from the losing side who had spent time in refugee camps in France after the uh, Spanish Civil War ended and then joined the Free French uh, when the war spread to the rest of Europe. But they ne- could never really uh, pull off fascism, like classical fascism. You, they, they did not have a uh, dynamic enough uh, urban middle class for that. Uh, they just, instead of that, they did a leisurely d. De- uh, agriculture, uh, a leisurely move from city to con- to, from the country to the city uh, under gunpoint, but, but not uh, through popular enthusiasm. No, thank you. Uh, well, I mean, people so say, oh, they're too lazy. Someone says too lazy. It, it's sunny. It's really, really sunny all the time. Why would you want to be up and doing stuff? It's not logical. It's not rational. And it does not serve the human spirit. To go against that. Geographic area, 194,900 square miles. Population, 39.6 million. Language, Spanish. What a shock. Uh, they're one of those countries that's got a whole language named after them, which is always cool. Uh, language, Spanish, as I said. Predominant religion, Roman Catholicism. They had got the Catholicism out of them like 100 years ago. Like the working class people were atheists in like the eighteen hundreds. By now there's just like five old ladies in black hair nuts who go to church. Government type, constitutional monarchy, head of government, prime minister Felipe Gonzalez Marquez. Uh yeah, so there's Spain. Just just oh I, I forgot this part. Uh, for Operation Desert Storm, Spain supplied naval units. Okay, cool. I'm sure they were very integral. And here we go. We got Poland. We forgot Poland? No, we remembered Poland. We'll never forget Poland. After being a major independent country for three I think I've read this one before. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did. I literally forgot Poland. That's funny. All right. Well, there you go. No last one cuz it's fucking Poland. We already one of the worst flags by the way on earth. Just very uninspiring. Honestly, even if the color bands were like the other way, it would be more interesting. I don't like the tri I don't like tricolor flags either. They're very boring to me too. <laughs> those are those are Z generating uh, flags. All right, I'm gonna go. Talk to y'all later. Bye bye.